Welcome to No Green Eggs and Ham, a podcast about nothing and everything. It's not a show where we take jabs at the infamous Dr. Seuss, but where we dive into topics like art, weird inventions, pop culture, and anything having to do with cubby-wubby womb room tea. So throw on some clothes. Grab a coffee and ignore your responsibilities as you listen to the Just OK Sounds with your host, me, Sam I Am. Here we go. That was the uh, my new theme song. I have a new intro and an outro that my brother-in-law, my awesome brother-in-law, let me use. It's exciting. Thank you, Donnie. I think it went very well. Hopefully I uh, I didn't butcher it too much in my editing, but um, thank you again. On this episode, I wanted to read uh, another submission for a writing prompt that I did. Uh, it's, it's shorter than the last one, so, you know, if you look on my website, emsubino.me, you'll see it on there. And uh, this one was called The War of Art. Before doing this writing prompt, I didn't know that there's actually a book called The War of Art. I mean, everyone knows The Art of War, but no one, or at least not me, I didn't know about The War of Art. The War of Art is a book by Stephen Pressfield. Break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles. I'm going to have to check it out. Like I said, I didn't know that this was a book before I, I did this. Here's the actual writing prompt. You've heard of The Art of War, but have you ever heard of The War of Art? And here's my submission. No one remembers the scourge of the late 20s. People today have no idea what it was like to have endless beauty one day and only gray the next. A rainbow of colors on a spectrum unbound by limits. Works by masters and apprentices both, all telling a story with countless interpretations and emotions. All gone. Centuries of creations all destroyed because of one man. One man who wrote a book. A man who had an idea who had a following known as the Zealous. Together, they successfully tore through every museum and private collection, all government structures and universities, every building and home that contained any piece of art. They were all ransacked. All art supply stores, Dick Blick, Michaels, and every department store was burgled, removing every crayon and ounce of paint, anything that could be used to create. They were unstoppable. Their numbers were far too great for any military force or municipality. And when they had every known piece of work, they went through again and took drafts and scribbles, sketches and doodles. They took any palettes of dried paint and oils. They even took shavings from colored pencils and crayons. After they had everything, they put it all in massive vats, larger than buildings. They scraped, melted, and boiled everything down. They spent months locked in factories, devising, plotting, creating. And then the day came, the reveal. On live TV in front of the entire world, they unveiled their endgame in the square outside of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and arguably the epicenter of some of the greatest works produced by the unmatched masters of long ago, and in an act of sacrilege of their craft and memories, they displayed a cache of weapons, thousands of handguns and assault rifles, bazookas and grenades, and in the middle, crates and crates of paintballs. Millions upon millions of tiny little orbs filled with the very materials that were used to create all the artwork they savagely ruined. Their leader, Su Sun, grabbed the first weapon and inserted a clip. He cocked the gun, aimed, and fired a shot directly at the spire in the square's center. 
A rainbow-colored splotch formed on the marble like a Rorschach. His followers roared with excitement. Thousands of men, women, and children flailing around like animals, howling and chanting. In the midst of the celebrating, guns filled with paintballs were dispersed throughout the crowd. The cheering slowed until silence was left. And once every weapon was handed out, the followers directed their attention to their leader, who was now standing upon a stack of ammo crates, holding a book, his book. He opened it up and read a passage from the end. The master, together with his zealous, gathered harmoniously within the square, took up their brushes of metal, and in front of an awe-filled world audience, created the single greatest work ever known to mankind, the War of Art. As he yelled out the title, he pointed his gun into the air and fired an entire clip of paint as the zealous went insane. He then threw the book into the crowd, signaling the start. The sound of guns drowned out the screams of delight as paint shot out in every direction, covering everything in the square. Followers shot whatever they could and grabbed more ammo again and again. When paint covered every surface, they turned the guns on each other in an epic game of paintball, the largest ever played. It went on for a solid five minutes before the last of the paint was used. There were cries of laughter and of pain as people hobbled around and nursed welts from the close-range hits they endured. And as the commotion died down, the zealous looked among them. The entire plaza was enveloped in color. Media drones overhead captured their creation for the world to see. As the master and his zealous marveled in their creation, the audience sat silent, mourning the cost. Susan looked into the camera of a drone that hovered in front of him, and with pretension and an ignorant sense of self said, You're welcome. As he smiled and admired what he had done, an audible thump could be heard. Then another, and another. Hundreds of bodies hit the floor. The collective mood turned from joy to fear as the zealous started dropping, dozens at a time, until the square was filled with thousands of people lying on top of each other. Susan looked around in horror as every one of his followers fell and lay motionless. The fumes from the old paints became toxic when mixed with the CO2 from the guns, poisoning everybody. Susan started feeling faint and dropped to his knees. He looked up to the sky and stared into the sun as his eyes started getting heavy. He knew he was going to suffer the same fate, and just before he fell, he noticed something flying straight down at him, and with a flash, it was all over. The UN had authorized the dropping of a bomb on the terrorist group. It was the first time in history that an entire terror organization, every cell, was gathered together in one spot. The group had even announced the day for months on social media and television. They advertised where and when they all would be. Plus, it was in his book. It took five minutes to unveil the War of Art, but it took six minutes for the missile to travel from the other side of the world. And that was the War of Art. I originally wrote that last part for a good friend of mine named Ben. He's part of our Breakwater group, and he enjoys stories that end with everybody dying <laughs> i don't know why but so i did that for him i hope you enjoyed it i told you it wasn't very long i like these little writing prompts because they they allow you to create something and I, like i said before i don't edit these i just shoot them out there you know they're not meant to be anything more than they are just uh it's just something to spur creativity and so i, I give those out uh, to our group every once in a while you know because we we all have so much going on, especially nowadays, you know, with work and school and COVID and, you know, everything going on, we, we need something to, to break up the monotony. And 
um, you know, we, we need that time to create. So if we do these, then it, it gives us the opportunity to do that. Well, Christmas is almost here. It's two weeks away. It's an extra next Friday. And I wanted to to talk in, in light of that. I really enjoy the, this holiday season. I like the feeling that you get when you're around family and friends. Uh, I really enjoy it. When I was younger, I liked it, you know, but I think it was more for presents and stuff like that. But when I came back to New York and came, you know, a part of my family again and eventually a part of my wife's family, I, I enjoyed it much more. Ever since uh, being at the first Christmas Eve party that I remember with my wife's family, it changed how I looked at the holidays. I think that was that was the very first time I, I saw it the way I do now. And I always look forward to Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is, you know, it, the whole holiday season for us starts Thanksgiving Day because the day after Thanksgiving, you know, instead of shopping and stuff like that, we, we actually, you know, start the tree. I do the outside lights and stuff like that. And so that's when the holiday really starts. Christmas Eve, we, we do um, an ugly sweater contest. We have a whole bunch of people over and a ton of food. I just recently, over the last few years, started a, a trivia game. I, I created this Jeopardy-themed game and, you know, get everyone involved. I really enjoy it. And then it leads us into the Christmas morning and, you know, more family on Christmas Day. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I know this year is going to be tougher for people because we don't get to see everybody. You know, uh, state limitations because of COVID and stuff like that. And especially in New York, you know, we were not allowed to see people out, outside of the state uh, without, you know, quarantine on both sides. And it, it makes it more difficult. And and um, we're going to be careful this year, you know, just have a, a few of us over. So in, in light of the holiday season, I was thinking about talking about Jimmy Stewart. Those of you who are younger and don't know who he is, if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life, he's the main character. He's, uh, he's George Bailey. If you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, check it out. Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, it's a great movie. It has a great message. And Jimmy Stewart is a fantastic actor, and he does a phenomenal job. So Jimmy Stewart, he was a Hollywood actor who gave up that life to join the military. He had just won an Oscar and decided to join the military. He joined the Army as their Air Force he knew how to fly planes, so he said, I'm going to do this. And if you've ever seen Captain America, you know, when, when Steve Rogers first becomes Captain America, he's not thrown into battle. He's, he's part of a USO fundraising effort, you know, selling bonds and stuff so they can get money for the war effort. Well, that's what they did with Jimmy Stewart because of his fame and his stature. And, you know, since the world knew who he was, they wanted to make sure that he was part of bringing awareness to the war so that they can get money to fund it. So he was sent to to do that. He would put on shows, you know, with other people for like two years, and he was so tired of it. He joined the army to be part of the, the war effort, not to put on shows to do the fundraising part. I mean, they already had people to do that. Send me out there, is what he was saying. So, so he, he finally convinced the higher-ups, to allow him to do that and to fly missions. And he got up high in the ranks. At first, they only gave him little missions to do, and they were always on the outside 
of where the the attacks were and stuff and where where the war was raging and he he kept fighting against that too he's like no no no. i want to be i want to go right through i want to be where everyone else is i want to sacrifice just as much as everyone else is to do this i don't want to be on the outskirts i want to be right in the middle of it i am not a hollywood actor i am a military man he wanted to be he wanted to be he didn't want to be a hero he wanted to be with everybody else he wanted to to fight and so because he was higher up in the ranks he was able to decide what missions he goes on and he just picked all the missions that were dangerous and he he flew right through combat you know and he did a lot of flying through war-torn areas through the thick of it you know while others around him are you know exploding in the air you know he's he's flying right in the midst of that and you know he lost a lot of people uh, especially in his unit he lost a ton of people that he knew he he knew hundreds of people that died you know on a personal level that ended up of course you know destroying him mentally and eventually you know had to leave the war effort um because of ptsd which at that time they didn't they didn't know what it was called or they didn't have a label for it and they they called it flack happy so he he got out in 45 and was miserable he, you know, he kept having thoughts of uh, all these terrible things happening around him while he was in war, and it was very sad. And during it, he, he gained so much respect by, you know, his fellow soldiers and obviously the nation around him, you know, for being who he was, not not being the Hollywood actor just doing a publicity stunt, but he was, he was a soldier. So, you know, he had lots of dark thoughts, and in 1946... He was saved by getting the role of It's a Wonderful Life. He was acting in It's a Wonderful Life while he was still going through these these traumatic PTSD withdrawals. And I was reading part of this biography. A lot of the emotional scenes that he goes through in the movie are real. They're from these horrible things that he remembers. And if you watch the movie, you can see these different times when he's, you know extremely passionate and emotional in, in in this or in these scenes and you're like well that's he was he was he was basically using the role as therapy and he was going through all those emotions on screen he later on said that that's what saved his life uh, doing this movie and being able to use it as a method to to clear his mind and basically work out those emotions so if you haven't seen it please do Fun fact, clouds can weigh up to a million pounds or more. They're not just puffy little con candy swirls floating above us, but they actually weigh something, and if they fell, they could crush us all. But thankfully, the air below them is heavier than they are. So, you get to live. Yay! Thank you for listening to No Green Eggs and Ham. Editing is by Yobino Consulting in Glen Cove, New York. Producers for the show are me, myself, and I. The theme song was written and performed by Donnie Ronaldo. On a guitar that I gave him. Because I don't know how to play. If you reach this far in the show... Please take an additional few seconds to leave us a review on whatever app you're using to listen to us ramble on about nothing, and share the podcast with your friends. 
see you, not see you, next time.